in this month's True Connections podcast, Alan Hooks is joined by Chris Sheldrick, CEO and founder of What Three Words, an innovative address searching app. Chris gives valuable insight into how What Three Words went from a small startup to a global company, where it could go in the future, and everything it's taught him along the way. Chris, many thanks for joining us today on Tree Connections. It's a real great pleasure to speak to you today and thank you for taking the time to chat. Pleasure. Thank you for having me, Alan. Thank you specifically from Rapid Shine Sushi, which hopefully by the end of the conversation today, many of our listeners will know exactly what that means. But I guess I wouldn't mind tackling a few things with you today, Chris, specifically around what three words and the story of your journey over the last decade and looking at what the future might hold for the organisation and for you too. But I guess when we look at some of the inequalities in the world, poverty being one of those, there's plenty of organisations that are looking to tackle those and address those particular issues. But there's one or two of those issues which are probably less understood. And I think that sounds like it's the genesis of what three words. And it'd be interesting to see from your side how you came about to identify the issue and the way in which you started to embark on finding a solution for that. Sure. So I grew up in a village in Hertfordshire where we never had an address for my house. I grew up on a farm. And or let's say we don't have an address which anybody's ever been able to find our house first time with because we don't have a street number. We only have a street name and a house name. And that's something which occurs for a lot of people in this country. I mean, it's not the majority, it's definitely the minority. But for those people who encounter that, it's very bizarre. I mean, a lot of the country gets stuff delivered to them first time, and then there are people who don't. But then I guess what compounded it for me was just going, well, this is weird, but okay, I'll live with it. To then working in the music business for 10 years, and our business put on large-scale music for events. We would always be trying to find the back of a stadium entrance or... I don't know, somewhere in the middle of the Welsh countryside or halfway up an Italian mountainside. And wherever those places were, I could almost guarantee you know, every day you go somewhere new that the address we were given was not enough for people to actually arrive at where we needed to go because there'd often be a sort of small turning off a dirt track or something which is where musicians and production crews inevitably have to load in. And so that just got me thinking all those years. And then when we started doing more and more international work, the same problem persisted and was much worse in many other places around the world. And that was from the Middle East, Dubai, Bahrain. We did things in India, Nigeria and all sorts of places. And it just struck me that wherever you go in the world, addresses is this kind of similar lottery of whether you can find where you're going or not. And, you know, that's when we started the company. Even now in 2022, the problem still persists. And I, like you, maybe sent sort of map or directions alongside addresses to try and find places. So it just seems to be whilst there always has been loads of development in maps and navigation technology, addresses is something that we use from centuries ago. And we just use what was the situation there. And we're still using it now in 2022, which for me feels like madness, when there should be a much simpler and equitable way that everybody should be able to refer to a small area we think a three meter square is pretty good and that's what we've done with what three words by dividing the world into these three meter squares and then naming each one with three dictionary words but i guess that's how it came to me in the first place was just my particular life led me to really understand this problem and what was the sort of the process chris that you sort of undertook to come up with that solution i mean it's trillions of three meter square grids across the globe how did you sort of distill the issue to finding a way in which you could come and solve it? 
The way we thought of the problem, and this was me and a friend sort of just in a room one evening batting this idea around, was I was trying to get the people in my music business to type in 16-digit longitudes and latitudes. So eight digits of latitude, eight digits of longitude. So you need 16 numbers to really define an area of about three metres. And I couldn't get people to do it because it was just too long and complicated. And it's not like there's a sort of cut-off as what's too long and complicated, but the human brain just doesn't like, even with phone numbers, often you have to sort of repeat them a couple of times if someone gives you their phone number and that's only i don't know nine or ten digits or something so 16 is just clearly too many so the way we thought about it was how can we distill this into something much more human friendly and the obvious solution i think is to use an alphanumeric code of nine or ten characters so 16 numbers versus nine or ten letters and numbers that can appear a bit easier but we just thought it wasn't easy enough because it's still nine or ten and that feels too long it's kind of like two postcodes or something in one and the world is just a very convenient size basically that you can grid it up into 57 trillion squares three meters by three meters and then the fact that you can use sequences of three words is very neat i think if we'd have had to use four words or five words then it's starting to get very complicated but the fact that you can do it in three just felt like a great opportunity and it is just that the world's a very convenient size so it was just batting that idea around and thinking how can we make a code as short as possible but something that feels human friendly from you know a child to a grandparent depending on people's tech adoption appetite that felt very simple so simplicity was at the heart of it and Chris, for, for some, they might have regarded this as a trivial issue. But as you say, it's a significant part of the globe that's effectively unaddressed and I guess you could say off the grid. How do you go about convincing people that the magnitude of this issue is such? I think it really depends on who you talk to. Some people you have to convince and some people you hardly finish the pitch and they go, oh my God, you know, when I used to live in Costa Rica, you know, for example, which is a famous country in that there is no address system and you would literally write on an envelope across the train tracks left by the tree and on the right with the red door. And so if someone's lived in Costa Rica or visited Costa Rica, you'll never have any argument about whether this is a problem. Similarly, anyone who sort of lives on a farm, again, we have very few arguments there. If you live on a street at number six between number four and number eight, and if you don't go to many places in your life which, which are unaddressed, then people sometimes say, oh, I'm surprised there's a problem. So I, I think it really depends who you talk to, what countries they've spent time in, or even, let's say, what their experiences are. I mean, anyone in the freelance industry who is always going to a new place every day, and that can be anything from a plumber to an electrician to a film crew, they will definitely feel the pain of addresses. But, I mean, the stats are quite staggering. I mean, the UN, I think there's a four billion people stat from the UN saying that they don't have an address pretty big number you know that might have evolved a bit since that stat was created a few years ago but you're still talking in the billions when you think how much of the world this is an issue for so I think undoubtedly the issue of addresses needs to be solved it's 2022 and there needs to be a better way than there has been for the last few decades and centuries of going about this and hopefully what three words is exactly that and in terms of building up that opportunity and I guess matching the issue that you identified to the commercial opportunity. How did you go about that, Chris? Take us through sort of that side of things in terms of clearly a significantly less understood problem being identified, but to find a way in which you could create a commercial opportunity out of it. Was that difficult? It's actually easier than people may think in that people are unaware, I think, of how addresses are monetized today. So when you get a ride-hailing app out and it says, where do you want to go? And you put in an address... 
that ride-hailing app has to pay a service to convert the text that you've typed in, which might be on a number one region street, into a latitude and longitude. And that process is called either address search or geocoding. And that is something that people have to pay for, sorry, more specifically, businesses have to pay for. This is free for the consumer, but businesses have to pay. And so all we're doing is charging businesses who pay for this anyway. So for example, Mercedes cars, Mitsubishi cars, Subaru cars that we're integrated in, these guys are all having to pay for address data anyway. And so we're charging them, but that's very straightforward. The key, I think, is keeping addresses free for consumers, which is exactly how we as everyday people experience. We don't pay for addresses. So we just match that model. But I think it's important to remember that we're not in the maps business because we don't make maps. We're not in the navigation business because we don't tell people you know, when to turn left or right. All we are is in the address search business, but that is a really long-standing business model. So I think when we came into it, that was actually one thing that we didn't have to reinvent the wheel on because we could just match what's already out there, which of course, is then makes life a lot simpler for businesses they haven't got to create a new line item and chris you've been really really clear from day one i guess is the laser focus that you have on the human element of what three words as things have grown and as the organization has developed more people have come in you've expanded into tens of countries and developed the technology into many different languages has it been difficult to maintain that focus and your connection with the actual reason why you created it in the first place? Has that been difficult for you? Definitely over the years, there's been suggestions as to how we could expand the system, whether that's for height or whether we add extra detail, I don't know, to make smaller squares. Or I find that with a system, a lot of people want to either re-engineer the system or add things to the system. Because once you understand the system, and it is very simple to understand, there's then this sort of suggestion of the next layer. But I think what's important to us is, of course, whilst many people know what three words, especially in the UK now, there's a lot of people who still don't in other countries. And we don't want to make that system any more complicated than it needs to be for people to learn and understand. There's many other geographic systems out there which, like latitude and longitude, have things like hierarchy, sequence, and all of these kind of things and grid methods. But I find that with something like that, there's a lot to learn. And for your average person, they don't want to have a lot to learn. And with a new system, they want to keep it simple. So whether we launch in Japanese, Korean, Swahili, Hindi, whatever it is, it is still just three words for three meters. And that's it. And I think it's a bonus that there's no correlation between squares between the three words you know, for this square and the one next to it. Because it means there is nothing to learn. And it's not only that, we think it's really good that it makes it far less error prone that you've got similar three word addresses than might be in other countries rather than next to each other. It is a plus because it means errors are really easy to spot. So I think in the early days, of course, you listen to your feedback very carefully and go, you know, should we do anything else? But we've always resisted it and gone, actually, we came up with a really simple, elegant idea. The skill is just saying no to messing with that. And I think just sitting with exactly that, three words for three meters, and we're now in 51 languages, and it's still really easy to learn. I think we made the right decision. Do you enjoy scaling it up? You've been there since day one. You had the frustration yourself in terms of back in the times when you're in the music industry and so on. So you've seen the growth in the business over the years, and I'm sure an enormous amount of change as well. As that scale has come and that growth has come, has that been an enjoyable part of the process or has there been some difficulties along the way from your perspective? 
There's always been difficulties for sure, but like many people who found a business which then gets bigger and bigger, you know, we're up to I think 175 people now, and you know, there's much bigger companies obviously out there. You go through that process of doing everything yourself from the idea and being a total generalist, and then you know, you start having a team and dealing with that, and then you deal with a team and you're managing the managers, and this is a logical transition that many people go through. And if you're scaling fast, as we were as well. You just about get comfortable with one stage of the business before you then get bigger and then you sort of feel uncomfortable to start as you don't have to take on a bunch of new stuff. I think one extra added dimension to that for our company is how international we've been from pretty much day one. And that comes in the form of international travel, not just for me, but for a lot of the team here. And that can be tricky in that it just creates more people away from each other more often, time zones having to produce internationalized materials very early on, the bandwidth that that requires from the team. And so I think that added dimension to it is definitely more complicated than if you're running a business where it's just focused on one country, or at least you can just start by getting big in one country and then going abroad. Trying to do all those things in parallel with travel and language is definitely a complicating factor. And that's probably was our biggest difficulty was trying to do all of that at the same time. But absolutely, I've loved every minute of it, as many other people do who scale, because you get this amazing education by doing it and you learn a bunch. And for me, that's been an incredible life experience. My former life in the music business was very different. Sure, I learned a bunch, but not by scaling our company. We worked with thousands of freelancers. It was a very differently designed business. But so much of it is transferable that you'd never think between the music world and the tech world. Fundamentally, you're dealing with people in both instances. And what I learned for those first 10 years was way more transferable than I ever thought. And how do you maintain that? I guess the DNA from the early days, the sort of the reason for the company being in the first place. How do you maintain that connectivity? A lot of it is spending a lot of time with new joiners in the team and not necessarily through formalized sessions, but just keeping repeating when we do our town halls with all of the company there, why we're doing things, anecdotes from the early days, reminding of the genesis of how we made decisions and therefore what things are in the company now. Because if you just say this is the way it is, people don't necessarily accept that unless they can understand how those decisions were made, even if they were done six years ago, as to why the company does or doesn't do certain things. So I think even if people have to do it in a compressed time, taking them on the journey with you by relaying the logic which has led us to the set of decisions we now do has been really effective. And also just, for example, when we go to events, it's a great way for new people. You know, What Through Words is a great sort of um, product for events because we're very intriguing. And it's the kind of thing you can have a two minute conversation with people and you'll get all sorts of reactions to what we do. And so with a lot of the new joiners, we bring them to events to kind of as part of their induction almost to get 200 people asking you questions about it. And as very quickly, they will then understand a lot about what we do and don't do and why, because you've got 200 members of the general public asking you. So I think a few things like that are now wrapped into the What Three Words way of doing things. But also, you know, as we launch in new markets, everybody gets a dose of what it's like to be growing from scratch. So the UK has reached a certain level, you know, it's basically a household name here. But because people are then exposed to what's it like growing What Three Words in a brand new market, 
they get to experience what it was like here six plus years ago when we're doing it for the first time. So I think all of that combined gives you the perfect combination of having a really good brand name and working for a company like that. But you get the excitement of building a startup with what we do in other countries. And Chris, you have a number of external investors that have come and joined over the years. One, I guess, have you sort of coped with that, you know, given this has been your baby from day one? And also, has that changed things, particularly from the way you sit? My previous business, I didn't take external investment in. And so I think for one thing, I was very open to doing it this time around because I knew that it would bring us speed, which if we wanted to create a global standard, that's a very ambitious goal to have. And so it was very obvious to me that external investment would be needed. So I think the initial kind of once you cross that line and you take an external investment, then you cross the line. But I viewed it as a very good thing. It was like we have this money to grow and that's a wonderful thing. And so I was very happy with the compromises that came with that. But also Words is an incredibly unique business. We have very few to no competitors. And so one of the things which I think everyone wrestles with is sort of, yeah, have we done phenomenally well this month or have we done terribly this month? Because you can't point to another business and as the benchmark to know whether you should have done more or less or achieved more or less. So that's something very distinctive to us because you just can't reference it against anything. And I think the investors have then learned with us over time what does good and bad look like and everyone's kind of learned that together. So I think we've had a really good experience with investors and also so many of them are strategic to us which means that they will often build what three words into their products. They've often been the ones to do that first in their sector. For example, like Mercedes-Benz, who were the first car navigation supplier to put it in. And it was great because they got the excitement of bringing it to market and being first. We were equally excited for them to be first. And so it's nice that they're prepared, you know, not only by putting their money on the line as investors, but also their reputation on the product side. It's a risk in that sense, but it's more than paid off. And, you know, we've now replicated that deal with 17 others and they have all of the prestige of being first with it. So I think our journey with the investors has been great. Everyone's very transparent with each other in terms of, yes, is it been brilliant this month or bad? We don't know, but then we figure it out together and build a bit of a playbook over time. How do you measure the success? Is that users? Is that countries you're in? Development of the product itself? How do you measure that success? It's a blend of exactly what you just said. So it's users, it's revenue, it's product features, it's how often people are using it, it's proliferation into different countries. And in a world where people often push companies to focus on just one thing, what three words is kind of stubbornly different to that in that it is an ecosystem. And there's so few examples of proprietary standards owned in a company format that it's really hard to look at comparables, but you can't just have lots of users, but then nowhere for those users to use what three words. There has to be an external ecosystem of apps and products that you can put those three words into for people to keep using the system because our app alone is not enough to get what three words well known. But if you only go out and get those integrations, but you've got no consumers of the app, then of course that doesn't work either. So the ecosystem is a big mantra that we push here. And even people coming into the business will be surprised in many ways that we push various different initiatives all at the same time here. But it has been proven to work in the UK and we're really proud of that, that the strategy was correct all along. You've got to have several different KPIs all feeding each other. It's just a little bit irregular and many companies would have less. But for us, this is what works and we're confident on that. 
And I love the way you describe that ecosystem. Also unique, as you say, is just the sheer magnitude of applications that what three words has and whether that's governments whether that's businesses or corporates or humanitarian projects and initiatives it has application across i guess all of those three there's been plenty i guess of really nice things that you've experienced over the years since starting what three words chris anything that stands out for you on i guess a social impact and humanitarian side where you can point to in terms of your global travels over the years and say i'm really proud of that initiative of that project to help a community of people or a country with no real listed location where the technology has been able to support them sure i mean there's a couple of things that fly to mind i mean one has been our work in mongolia and i think part of the story there was that the whole thing came about slightly by chance i met a person who was mongolian who loved what three words but had no use case until They called back three months later because they'd bought a third of the Mongolian postal service and then had found that they really struggled with the lack of addresses. And that was our sort of way into that market through the postal service. And it was brilliant. It even got featured on QI, the TV show here, where they sent a letter to Mongolia with just the person's name in the three words. And it got delivered, if you like, to sort of test whether it actually worked. And it did. And then we expanded that into the emergency services in Mongolia, who now accept what three words. It's on e-commerce sites, and we've really built an amazing ecosystem there, all from this quite sort of by chance meeting fairly early on in our journey. And so that's been great. It's a really big country, as people know, very sparsely populated addresses hasn't been high on the priority list there. But we've been able to create something pretty special. But then even closer to home here in the UK, the fact that we now have got 85% of our emergency services across police, fire, ambulance, Coast Guard. And what people don't necessarily know is that these are all done at county level. And so our team went from, you know, Norfolk to Suffolk to Somerset. And in each one of those, you've got to go to all of police, fire and ambulance. And just to see how the momentum built up over a period of time amongst that community has been incredible for us. And then, you know, my home county, Hertfordshire, was one of the first in the fire service to start using it for rescues. And that's very touching to see them putting out on Twitter, you know, what three words was used this morning to do this. Especially, you know, people think that their smartphones automatically will send a location very accurately. That's not really the case. And in many cases, something like what three words is needed to get an accurate location communicated quickly. And there's so many powerful stories of it saving lives. So that's now been replicated in South Africa, in Canada, in the USA. We now have emergency services in so many countries using the system. And I think it's a blend. It's great in your home country even in your home county for the sort of personal way in that you feel a sense of accomplishment for doing something for your local community but then knowing how complicated it is to do these things abroad to localize into the language and to still get that same buy-in has been a proud moment for the whole company as well and that does extend to humanitarian organizations ngos who are doing really important work. I mean, in South Africa, this one project comes to mind with an organisation called Gateway Health, who take pregnant women to hospital to give birth when many of the local services don't offer something for them. And it's as simple as trying to just explain where you live at that moment in time if you can't do that through normal ways because the settlements don't have addresses. And what three words is what they're using It's something which is really powerful for the team here and for the community there, and it's something that we then highlight to others in other countries. Look, you can use it for this, and it's an area that we don't charge for, anything to do with emergency services or NGOs. So it's wonderful to see, and I think as a company, we've managed to blend the work that we do commercially so that we can earn money and grow as a business, 
but also do a lot of good in the world. And there are different parts of the team who work on all those things and it comes together very nicely. It sounds incredibly fulfilling, Chris, to be able to get that blend in terms of positive social impact and commercially viable organisation that's growing at the rate it has been growing. I guess just turning attentions to you as an entrepreneur and a business owner, Chris, we speak to a lot of similar founders of companies who have come up with an idea, developed and grown organisations. One common thread that runs through many of those conversations is, I guess, about their obsession with whether it's the customer or the client or the product or the issue. And it consumes a lot of brain power and so on. Where do you sit on that sort of scale? Are you happy with the sort of the balance that you have in terms of life generally as an entrepreneur and as a business person? Yeah, very much. And I think because What Through Words has been a very nice fit for me personally as well, in that I mentioned earlier, it was difficult for the company that we had so much to do internationally from day one. But part of what fascinates me is international travel and seeing totally radically different cultures to here in the UK and the places I've got to travel to across Asia, Africa, many other places fits neatly with my personal interest area but yet I get to do it for work and we get to try and get what three words working into all of those places and I think that's something which is shared here by a lot of the team and so very rarely does it ever feel like difficult work that we're doing especially because what when we go places again with this unique product it's not like people say oh I saw something like this last week our focus is on being proud of what we are that it's unique and it's like we're almost in the behavior change business if you like because generally what through words will make sense for a country or business that we're targeting it's something that can feel novel it can feel risky if you're going to be first in your country or your sector so i guess for us yes we're focused on behavior change we're focused on ecosystem growth which will be probably quite different things to other companies especially if you're in a very competitive environment you simply have to have other focuses to ensure you're staying ahead of competitors. But it is very different for our company, given that that's not an environment that we're in. So I think for me personally, the balance has always been there. The team who come to work here on this do have a pretty specific mindset, which is that you want to be working on something unique. That really does it for you. And there are people who don't want to do that, and that's fine, and they're not necessarily a fit for what through words. But the people here, everybody's got that kind of excitement by the fact we're always breaking new ground. And so I think that unifies us and it's made it a very enjoyable journey for me because I feel like I've grown loads, traveled loads, seen loads and learned loads. So the two sit hand in hand and I've had a really enjoyable experience growing this company. Anything that you know now, Chris, that you would have loved to have known back in, what, 2012 or so when you were trying to develop a solution, come up with ideas to solve an issue that you'd identified? Is there something you kind of figured out now and you think, oh, if only? (laughs) I think everyone who starts, not exactly a startup, but if you're starting a startup which is based around network effect, I think everybody thinks it's going to be easier than it is to create network effect because I think once you think you get your first use of your product, everyone's going to stay, everyone's going to keep using it, they'll all tell someone else and then this network effect will just blossom organically. And I guess we would maybe in the very early days have done a little bit less at once and just got some of that network effect going quicker had we taken on less projects. But it's so appealing when everyone 
contacts you and says, you know, come to this country, in this country we all need your solution, you do spread yourself a bit thin until you realise, okay, actually network effect is hard with any product and therefore we need to focus more even if that just involves saying no to clients, which of course no business wants to do. But just saying, right, less countries, less verticals, let's get this up and running and proper network effect with repeated usage and then you can grow out a bit more. So I think that was probably the biggest thing if I could go back and tell my former self would be just give it a bit of time and you don't have to do everything in year one. But it didn't take us that long to figure it out. Of course, you know, you always want to go back and save time and bandwidth and resource and things. But that would probably be the biggest thing that comes to mind. And finally, Chris, we could talk a lot on this, but what excites you most about kind of the next phase for what three words, anything in particular that you're super excited about going forward i think at the moment it's about the speed in which we can get up and running in new markets because of the crossover of the integrations that we have between countries so the first few countries that we've done it's almost as felt like starting from scratch in each one mongolia is pretty different from the uk to take two kind of pretty contrasting examples and there wasn't much crossover in integrations we would secure one that would work in the other but now as we do six seven countries and beyond there are so many products that are international that we work with and it just means that when you're showing up in that next country your sales kit and even your sort of early adoption i mean we find that we might be in a country now and go wow we actually got a really strong user base already because people just hear about you in the kind of crossfire of daily life and apps and services that they might want to know about so for me it's a bit like well, how quickly could we go from six countries to 20? And could that really be done far quicker than it took us to go from one to six? And if that all works out, then you start to think, wow, well, actually getting to something as global as you know some of the world's biggest brands, could it be done quicker than you think, than you hope? And that's really exciting for us. And also you get the payoff of thinking, well, all of the long lead times that we got for some of those integrations, it really, really compounds and helps you when you're trying to build a standard and the compound growth and the compound set of ways to use what three words in that ecosystem, it can be a slow start, but then you really get the benefit later on. So I think the whole team here is excited. You know, it's sort of relatively post COVID now we can travel pretty much anywhere. What's the next year or two going to look like in terms of building up more countries? Chris, so many thanks for speaking to us today. I know a lot of what we've talked about will resonate with many of our listeners. So it's been great to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing the continued success of What Three Words. As an avid user myself, it's incredibly useful when I'm trying to find things. So grateful to you and the team for that and wish you all the continued success of the business. Very kind, Alan. Look, thank you so much. A real pleasure to come on the show. So thank you for having me. That's all for this edition of Julius Bear's True Connections podcast. Thank you for listening. And please do keep in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn and at juliusbear.com. 